Welcome to the Sloth Investor Podcast with your host, Mr. Sloth. The information on this podcast is provided for education and informational purposes only. The information contained in or provided from or through this podcast is not intended to be and does not constitute advice of any kind. Welcome everyone to episode 18 of the Sloth Investor Podcast, an investing podcast that explores why I believe the humble sloth is the best animal to characterize successful investing. I would like to offer a belated Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Once again, I'm joined by my fellow sloth investor and co-host Jay for our first podcast of 2022. Jay, it's episode 18, our first podcast of the year. How are you? I'm I'm, I'm doing okay. It, it's Right now, it's, it's hard to have... Uh, first of all, let me do like you and say welcome to everybody. It's our, I'm excited to be back. And I, I, I would, I've been missing the podcast. It's, it's, it's a highlight of my, uh, a sort of a highlight for me when we get to do these. But also it's, man, right now it's a bit hard to have hope with, with Omicron taking off around the world and lockdowns hopping all over the place. Right now it's, it's you're, you're, I'm trying to put a smiling face on. Sometimes it's more difficult than others. Never a dull moment right now. Lots going on, certainly around the world. Lots going on, for sure. Okay, so clutching my mulled wine over the festive period compelled me to mull over the theme for this, the first Sloth Investor podcast episode for 2022. During that period, and also within these first few weeks of the year, there's been a lot of volatility within the stock market. A key reason for this is because of rising interest rates, which has a negative impact on stocks with a high P ratio, but less of an impact on stocks with a reasonably low P ratio. The P ratio means the price to earnings ratio. So essentially, this means that there's been a volatile and turbulent rotation from growth stocks to value stocks. Now, let me now define the difference between growth stocks and value stocks. Growth stocks are those stocks that are expected to deliver a higher proportion of their cash flows in a distant future, whilst value stocks, on the other hand, are expected to deliver a higher proportion of their cash flows in the near future. I actually like the way you put the, how you define those because that, that's a much more accessible version for me uh, when it comes to growth versus value stocks that I can wrap my head around. Mm. My question to you is yeah. the, the P ratios, the interest rates, the cash flows, all these terms, man, they, it's almost like they're, they're meant to confuse the listener. Mm. Now, the first bedrock principle of the sloth investor is simplicity. You've outlined an approach to investing that, that advocates for low fee, globally, globally diversified ETFs, for mm. example, as an example. Is this a time now with all this volatility and all this going up and down, is this a time for investors to start looking at their portfolios and saying, okay, I need to jump ship with all this volatility and hold on to my money. I need to unload my stocks. Is this mm. something that people should be doing? That's a good question, Jay, and something that is no doubt on investors' minds right now around the world. However, to quote a song by the late soul singer Curtis Mayfield, I would implore investors to keep on keeping on whether through times of relative stability in the stock market or times of volatility like we're seeing now, quite simply, remain invested, stay the course. Some investors may be tempted to think about extracting a significant amount of their capital from the stock market at this time or another time, but I am skeptical of those who believe they're nimble and agile enough to weave in and out of the markets. 
Now, <laughs> I, I, I sort of snicker and laugh because I've made this mistake, uh, unfortunately, on many occasions and live to regret it. As you mentioned earlier that, you know, we're, we're firm on a, on a sort of a, a model that advocates for um, simple investing, mm. the, the, the low fee, the globally diversified, you know, no better example than perhaps the Vanguard's uh, FTSE All World ETF, which is on the London Stock Exchange. I own it. Um, it's it's been very good to me over the years. And you know, sort of to quote some numbers in 2019, um, the fund made a return of 24 percent. In 2020, it made a return of just shy of 14 percent. And then in, in 2021, the return was about 16 and a half percent. But three positive years. <laughs> And if you listen to the news right now, and I, I don't know, I'm trying to gauge how much of it is sensationalism, but if you listen to the news right now, there is, um, some of the pundits are saying we need to expect a significant drop in the stock market this year. Mm. What, what do we do? What is, again, do we start tinkering? Do we sell off? Do we get unload and put a, our unload uh, things and put a larger position in cash and ho- wait and hold? Mm. You know, you just mentioned that we had we've had three positive years of returns for one of the low fee globally diversified ETFs that we're fans of. Now, broadly speaking, it's certainly true that every three to four years, we generally see a negative year of returns in the stock market. And of course, it's not unheard of for there to be consecutive years of negative returns. In this regard, we can think back to the turn of the century in the years 2000, 2001 and 2002 with each of these years seen a negative return in a negative return in the overreturn of the S&P 500. So, would it surprise me if in 2022 there was a big market drop? No, it wouldn't. But again, I don't have a crystal ball. So, while I could be accused of sitting on the fence, I want to make it very clear, like I always have done, that it's very difficult to make predictions about the future short-term direction of the stock market. And Andrew Hellam makes um note all the reference to all the time in his in his, uh, his books about how nobody can accurately gauge the market um, and what it, what it's going to do it yeah and one of the big things I want to hit upon is short term mm. what do you mean by short term to elaborate and tell our listeners short term what is short term what is long term yeah it's important to clarify definitely so Uh, That's a good question because my definition of short-term could possibly be different to other investors' definitions. Broadly speaking, when I refer to short-term, I'm thinking three years or less. Five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. These timeframes, these longer-term timeframes, are the durations that I'm interested in. Over the last two years, there's been a lot of discussion about the need to inject vaccines. But it's at this point in this podcast I like to inject a sense of optimism. After all, this is the theme of our podcast episode today. We could use a little more optimism, uh, injection of optimism in our our daily lives right now. I think so, Jay. Absolutely agree. I'd have to. So I mentioned a little earlier the negative returns of the stock market in 2000, 2001, and 2002. Now, if in the latter part of 2002, I had mentioned remaining positive and being optimistic to investors, I may have received a kick in the teeth or at best, a menacing glare from those invested in S&P 500. In 2002, for example, the return of the S&P 500 was minus 22%. People would have wanted to give you a, a shoulder shake and say, uh, smarten up, buddy, because how can you be optimistic? Absolutely, absolutely. So 
Back then, in those initial years of the 21st century, I would have implored investors to remain optimistic for the future, with long-term market history providing the foundation for this sense of positivity. In 2022, even with the volatility we're seeing and the concerns about COVID-19, Omicron, interest rates, the growth versus value stock debate, I would again implore sloth investors to adhere to the principles of a long-term mindset. <laughs> all these things, all, and, and I'm, I'm wondering and I'm, I'm willing to bet that through every up and down turbulent market, there's always been global concerns that people are like, oh, you, you shouldn't invest your money right now because of this. You shouldn't invest your money because of this. Um, and that would be my, my, my major hesitation because we've seen this pattern before sure. uh, throughout history. Mm. Now, you and I were recently discussing our, our Netflix subscriptions and what we should be watching during the festive period. You've got an analogy between um, the domain of investing and subscriptions. Mm. Tell our listeners a little bit more about that because I really like that, mm. that sort of that, that connection. Yeah, sure. Sure, Dre. So at this point in the calendar year, at the beginning, it's customary for people to be asked to renew their subscriptions to things such as the gym or perhaps to a piece of online software. This entails an acceptance of a yearly or monthly fee, of course. Well, within the realm of investing, I would argue that a subscription to a long-term belief in the historical returns of the stock market entails an acceptance of volatility. So this may perhaps sound a bit cliche, but volatility is not a bug, but an inherent feature of the system you of have the to, stock market. Yeah, you got to accept it. You, yeah. If you're going to be in the stock market, you have to accept that not everything is just going to go up. There is going to be volatility, volatility there, right? Sure. You got it. You got it. And this is what Ben Carlson, one of my favorite investment writers, writes in his 2015 book, A Wealth of Common Sense. Begin quote. Over decade-long time horizons, your investment performance will mainly be derived from how you handle corrections bear markets and market crashes. During every single bear market, there will be times when you wonder if the losses will ever stop. You'll always wonder how much lower the market can go. The economic news will be terrible. Other investors around you will be depressed. Pessimism becomes pervasive. Having a discipline to stick with a good plan, even when it doesn't feel right, is an underappreciated skill set. Manias and panics will always be part and parcel of the financial markets, as long as humans are making investment decisions, end quote. Jay, any thoughts on what Ben Carlson states there? Well, as a subscriber to Motley Fool, I've, um, articles like they sent out one uh, within the last month, I believe, and it, it, it helps keep me grounded because they reminded investors like me that um, even on, on their, re their recommendations, would have which have turned out to be multi-baggers in the long term, in the short term, there's some of their stocks that recommendations had dropped quite significantly. We're talking uh, 20 to 30%. And probably no greater example, uh, some, one of the hard lessons I've learned, 2008, the stock market crashed, the stock market sell off. Uh, was it 2008? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. So I was, was a newbie investor, I had a lot of ETFs. The stock market crashed and I sold everything. And I thought, I got to go to cash. This is, this is mm -hmm. too volatile and, and now is not a good time. And, uh, there are things are going to go down. And had I just kept my money parked and not sold off, I would have um, perhaps not been here today. I would have been sitting on a beach in uh, a place like Fiji. Oh, Fiji. <laughs> Jay, it's funny you mentioned Fiji because on a side note here, you know, guys, the Sloth Investor podcast has been growing globally. And we do now have 
listeners in Fiji. So I'm what? pleased to state that. That first, we have listeners in Fiji. First the Truman Show, now the yeah. Sloth Investor. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, so it's at this point that I would like to make what I consider to be an interesting comparison between two investors, two authors, in fact, and a contrasting way that they each responded to a market crash. One response was guided by optimism, and the other was guided by a sense of pessimism. These are two authors that we have mentioned during our podcast before. The first author is Andrew Hallam, author of books such as Millionaire Teacher and Millionaire Expert. And the second author is J.L. Collins, author of The Simple Path to Wealth. I believe how each of these respective investors responded to a market crash can teach us a great lesson ab about the importance of temperament, i.e. being headstrong during a substantial market decline. Okay, so I'll begin with Andrew Hallam. Andrew Hallam possesses an enduring optimism about the future upward direction of the stock market. And this is evidenced by the fact that he continually takes advantage of sustained market drops by selling off large chunks of the bond component of his portfolio to take advantage of cheaper stock prices. I'll read now from an article on his website titled Millionaire Teacher Sells $50,000 of Bonds. I know, listeners, it's a title that gets straight to the point and does what it says to Tim. <laughs> Pretty obvious, yeah, there, right? <laughs> you got it. The article is dated August 20th, 2011. Begin quote. I've decided to sell some of my bonds to add more money to my stock indexes. I'm not smart enough to know where the stock markets are headed over the short term, and I don't really care. By no means is this a market call. What will I do then if the markets fall further? Rinse and repeat. I did the same thing after the World Trade Center collapse on 9-11. I did the same thing during the beginning of the 2003 Iraq War. I did the same thing during the financial crisis of 2008-2009. And I did the same thing in June 2010, when the US and international stock markets were roughly 12% lower than they are right now. I'm a relatively young man. If I'm going to be purchasing something for many years, whether it's gasoline at the pump, apples at the supermarket, or insurance for my home, why would I want to pay higher prices for those items? Think of yourself as a stock market collector, if that's what you are, and learn to rewire your thinking. Cheap prices for the things you're collecting equals a good thing. Rising prices for the things you're collecting equals a bad thing. End quote. So that was a pretty lengthy quote, but I think a really useful one. And I'm certainly going to make a contrast between Hallam's behavior here and how J.L. Collins responded during a market crash. But before I do, Jay, what are your thoughts here on Hallam's actions during those market crashes? Do you sense a degree of optimism from his from him with regards to what he considers to be the future upward direction of the stock market? Yeah, you know, and I have to say, I probably subscribe to his his sentiment. And I think Warren Buffett um, follows along on those lines. And I, I, can, I, I want, can I share with you guys mm. a, a success story for me? Something mm, that I, I, I'm yeah, yeah. quite happy with. So Ford, um, during the summer, was in a bit of a, a spiral down. Uh, the, the company Ford. The stock price was going down and down and down. But from what I could see, my research was telling me, from what I was um, reading, it, it seemed like a stock was a no-brainer. It was a, a something that was discounted. It was on sale. 
and I picked up a lot of Ford. Hmm. Since uh, when I bought in August till now, it has actually more than doubled in price, which is, yeah, and and to me that that speaks to, um, you you can't say the same with every stock, um, but if you do your your due diligence and your legwork and you you find a company who you believe in, um, when they're on discount, uh, discount price, that's the time to pick up some more. Pick up those bargains. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Jay. So <clears throat> let me now contrast Hallam's behavior during these market declines with the behavior of J.L. Collins during Black Monday, a substantial market decline that occurred on October 19, 1987, when a Dow Jones industrial average lost 22.61% in a single day and the S&P 500 fell by 20.4%. Now, apologies for the reuse of this quote, as I have used it in a previous episode, but I'm keen to use it again because I think it provides us with a fascinating contrast to Andrew Hallam's behavior. So this is what J.L. Collins has to say about Black Monday. Begin quote. It is hard to describe just what this was like. Not even the Great Depression had seen a day like this one, nor have we since. Truly, it looked like the end of the financial world. As any educated investor does, I knew that the market was volatile. I knew that on its relentless march upwards, there could and would be sharp drops and bear markets. I knew that the best course was to hold firm and not panic. But this, this was a whole nother frame of reference. I held tight for three or four months. Stocks continued to drift ever lower. Finally, I lost my nerve and sold. I just wasn't tough enough. Then, of course, and as always, the market began again its relentless climb. The market always goes up. <sighs> End quote. So there we have it. I know uh, that feeling. Yeah, a fascinating contrast between one investor and another. And listeners, it's a fantastic book, The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Jay, what are your thoughts on these two contrasting responses to sustained market declines? Oh, I made that big groan because I know exactly what he's talking about, where you try and hold on, you think, oh my gosh, this is a dark period. I need to need to unload some stocks. I need to sell. And in the, in the near term, it's hard to have optimism. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to close your eyes to the sensationalism going around. I'm the, I'm the kind of guy who, um, I don't check it, my stocks as frequently as I used to, but I have alerts on my phone. So every now and again, I'm getting a, a, an alert pop up. Oh, this is down 10% today. This is down um, 8% today. And uh, I admit, it, 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 it piques my sort of my curiosity. And the, and the term that you and I have come up with in our, in our discussions, it's, it's like a nightmare during the day or a daymare. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's, is it possible for us to um, to copyright that uh, that term, a daymare? That's We're doing ours. it right now. It's very daydream. <laughs> that is our term. We're calling right. it. Yep. <laughs> so a daymare, and, and I've I've seen I've lived through many daymares, and you know probably the most recent example for me, um, as someone who lives in Hong Kong, the and my um, my retirement fund is tied to um, the the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the index and the tracker index fund, and uh, the in August. Uh, it was a July or August. There was a a, a massive sell off, yeah. a, a massive sell off, and it and again, same thing. I looked at it, my eyes peeled open, and had to take a deep breath and remind myself, th- 
be optimistic. There will be better days ahead. It looks dark right now. And you, you start to almost buy into the, um, the hype when you hear like, oh, it'll never be the same. And in, the, in this case, every, every, there's a knock on everything, right? And in the case of the Chinese stocks, oh, the Chinese stocks will never be the same. And I am by no means advocating for someone to buy Chinese stocks or yeah. not buy Chinese stocks. Mm. But the noise and the, the rhetoric coming out was they'll never be the same. They'll never recover. Um, the, and right now, if you look at the ha uh, Hang Seng Index, it's one of the few worst performing indexes out there mm. um, right now. So does that mean prices are discounted? Um, do, does it mean things will never get better? I don't know, but I have to admit that I'm still buying the the Hang Seng Index every month. Sure. I'm, I'm 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 buying that um, ETF. Yeah, those principles, the importance of time, remaining headstrong, and listeners. That term is ours, daymare. I love it, Jim. Yeah, I love that term. Try and try and uh, ignore the daymares. You know, yeah. give your head a shake and remind yourself it's just a yeah. daymare. This too shall pass. Yeah, I mean, during my research for this episode, I was actually uh, you know digging a bit deeper into Black Monday way back in 1987, and I could see pictures of those Wall Street traders seeing, oh my gosh, the, the plunge in prices, they're in their sharp suits and, you know, furrowed brows. And I guess at the time they were having daymares. They were having daymares, absolutely. Well, things are on sale though. And that, that's the way well, I look at it. That's the way, exactly. So someone came up to me uh, 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 last week and they was like, aren't you afraid you're still investing in the, the Hong, Kong stock market, Hong Kong stock market? And you're, you're, you're still buying the ETF and like, well, yeah, this is, you know, things seem pretty grim right now, but yeah. that does that mean things are on sale? Again, I'm not advocating in any way, shape yeah. or form. Some people need to do their own, um, their own due diligence, their yeah. own research. But for me, uh, I'm continuing to park money every month into the Hong, uh, Hang Seng Index as an yeah. ETF. I mean, to circle back to that Hallam quote we just mentioned a while ago, you know, cheap prices for the things you're collecting are good thing. So yeah, it's all about, it's all about that. Okay, so, you know, Jake, when I think about that lifelong commitment to investing, what we've just been touching upon, I also think about a lifelong commitment to your favorite sports team. So, Jake, you're a big fan of hockey. I'm a big fan of soccer. And we're committed for life to our favorite teams through the good times and the bad. Likewise, as lifelong investors, we're committed through thick and thin to the stock market. Jay, any thoughts about this comparison to sports? And by the way, how is your favorite hockey team doing? Uh, well, Warren Buffett once said, uh, think about your when you buy a stock, you're actually owning the company. You need to change your mindset. It's not just a piece of paper. It's uh, owning a company. Uh, for me, being a, a fan of the Edmonton Oilers, it's uh hopefully there are better days ahead we've just come out of what we call the the, the decade of darkness and which is which means my team has had one decade of uh pretty brutal returns um but there are brighter days ahead i am convinced of that we're we're well placed um to <laughs> to do better things <laughs> i hope i'm praying but i guess i'm trying to apply that same sentiment yeah. to my portfolio um, in that I'm trying to remind myself sometimes when it's darkest, it's darkest before the dawn. Yeah, absolutely. It really is so true. And that brings us really nicely on to another point that I would like to add about the inevitable ups and downs of the stock market. Okay, and this is what Howard Marks, one of my favorite investment writers, states about its similarity to the inevitable sideways swing of a pendulum. Okay, so Howard Marks, he writes, he writes regular memos about the stock market. And this is what he states in his memo of April 11th, 1991, going way back. Begin quote. 
The mood swings of the securities markets resemble the movement of a pendulum. Although the midpoint of its arc best describes the location of the pendulum on average, it actually spends very little of its time there. Instead, it is almost always swinging toward or away from the extremes of its arc. But whenever the pendulum is near either extreme, it is inevitable that it will move back toward the midpoint sooner or later. I hope my hockey team can have that. <laughs> Sorry, I cut <laughs> you off. Okay. I cut you off. Sorry. Okay. In fact, it is the movement toward the extreme itself that supplies the energy for the swing back. End quote. So what lesson can we take from what Howard Mark states here? Well, for me, it teaches us to be optimistic about the future direction of the stock market. Despite the occasional extreme moments of volatility or even those sustained market declines, because, well, eventually the pendulum will swing back from pessimism to optimism. Jay, I really like the comparison that Marx makes there between a stock market and a pendulum. What are your thoughts? Well, and it's going to feel like it's, it's going to feel like that I'm um, stock dropping uh, this episode in particular because I'm, I'm naming a couple stocks. But you know what? The I want to use the example of PayPal. Mm. I've picked up some PayPal, and when I picked them up uh, a while ago, the stock has probably dropped about twenty twenty five percent since I've I've bought in. Mm. I am staying headstrong, mm. and I'm continuing to slowly add more as the price stays a bit depressed because I believe. From what my research and due diligence has told me that PayPal long-term, mm. 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, will have paid off. Sure. So I continue to add at that discount price. So my hope is that, yes, PayPal, with what the numbers I'm seeing and um, the optimism that I'm, I'm holding with the company, the pendulum will indeed swing back. Um, and the price, uh, I'll, be, I'll look back and say the price was um, a very good price at which I got in. And, I, and I'm glad that I stayed headstrong and continued to, to buy more with it. Sure, sure. Okay, Jay, so I would like to bring episode 18 to a close with an optimistic take on the investing future of those that have very little interest in researching individual companies or getting into weeds of company numbers and reports. For those investors who humbly concede that they have very little insight into these specific companies that will be the big winners of the future, that they can invest instead pretty much in the entire stock market through allocating their money into a low-fee, globally diversified index fund or ETF. After all, I guess it's a relatively small number of companies that are responsible for the returns that we see in the stock market. So to paraphrase Jack Bogle, instead of looking for those needles in a haystack, investors can in fact buy the entire haystack. I think it's great that those individuals in society, and I think we're talking a very high percentage here, that have very little interest in publicly traded companies can still participate in a long-term upward movement of the stock market by regularly allocating their income in this passive way. The index fund has truly been a great innovation. And truly an easy way to simplify, sorry, the, yeah. the best way to simplify your life. Absolutely. Going back to that bedrock principle, that very first bedrock principle, simplicity. If you don't have a Steve in your life, and you and I have, I, oh yeah. if you don't have a, a sloth investor or a Steve in your life, then yeah. <laughs> your, your, your ability to, to look at um, um, the, the, the nuts and bolts of a company gets dramatically reduced. So for those who don't have a Steve or a sloth in your life, like I do, yeah. um, ETFs are a great way to invest. Yeah, we've got a you know, good friend called Steve, and he does a lot of due diligence and hunts down companies and lets us know, well, I, you know, I think this company looks good and so on and so forth. So absolutely, not everyone has, has a Steve for sure. You know, so you know, a relatively small number 
among a large amount. This reminds me of a conversation that you and I had with James, one of our colleagues here in Hong Kong, around about Christmas time. Okay, so of course, you know, this would have been about four weeks ago. We were speaking about mega bands, oh, right, yeah. mega bands, and how when people actually listen to a band's entire back catalogue. It's perhaps only a relatively small number of songs that they're a fan of. Now, of course, this isn't the case for everyone, but I know this is certainly the case for me with regards to certain bands. And our friend James mentioned Queen, for example. He made the point that though they're globally known for their mega hits, when he actually listened to their entire catalogue, he realised it's only a relatively small number of their songs that he's a fan of. Likewise, when it comes to investing, it's perhaps a relatively small number of companies that are responsible among the thousands and thousands out there for the outsized historical returns of the stock market. However, rather than through guesswork or a little luck, investing in a low-fee, broad-based ETF or index fund enables you to capture these high performers like we've mentioned. Jay, what about you? Back to music. Do any bands or artists come to mind where you love a relatively small number of their songs, but you're not quite enamored with their entire catalog well and you know and I, I probably the two examples that immediately come to mind as a dad i have no idea why but my kids are listening to that what's that rick ashley song that uh, everybody knows never gonna give you up never gonna give uh. you up and then um aha take on me was a, a several years ago and i have to admit i never was never uh, particularly enamored with uh, rick ashley or aha but i don't know any other songs from <laughs> from them yeah. uh other than those two songs were those two songs my kids these these songs are decades old, but my two my two young kids were were listening to them. It's crazy, it is crazy. It's just how do these songs come around? I remember that was like late eighties. I must have been quite young myself. Late eighties, that first came around. Never gonna give you up and take on me, Jay. Uh, I gotta say, I uh, I may be committing a sin here to uh, to diehard fans of rock and roll history, but uh, for me, it's Nirvana. I mean, let me first really? let me get out here. I think Smells Like Teen Spirit is one of my favorite songs of all time. I love it. I really do. I play it frequently. And, you know, there's a couple of other songs that I occasionally listen to by Nirvana. But i got to say, on the whole, it's a relatively small number of songs that entice me when I listen to the band, when I listen to Nirvana. It, it really is. Yeah, that, and you know what? There's probably a lot of truth in that. There's yeah. a lot of truth in that. Yeah. This probably brings episode 18 to a close, my friends. Um and hopefully it brought uh, some much-needed optimism into your lives. I know it has for me. And optimism should be our default mindset um, for the long-term investor. Um, have that sort of long-term view and an optimistic one as you look down the road. And we mentioned Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, a moment ago. Well, perhaps we might um, sign off with uh, uh, maybe a new copyright phrase, I guess, smells like sloth spirit to me. Yeah, remain optimistic in the long-term future of the stock market. That smells like sloth spirit to me. Have a good one, everyone. We'll see you next episode. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. For more tips, follow the Sloth Investor on Twitter at Sloth underscore Investor. <laughs>